we'll give you a brief run-in of last week, just briefly, and then we'll look at the gospel, which is in the golden box. Last week we finished looking at the golden box and the place where that golden box was set. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, please. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded on the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, sorry, glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to take your word and settle every heart. Take your word and imprint it upon every mind. Inscribe it in our beings. Lord, that we would see the Lord Jesus. That we would see our need of him. But we would see our all is in him. Bless your people for being here this evening. And we ask you, Lord, to speak. You decide what you'll say. And you decide how you'll draw. But Lord, this is the method that you use through the preaching of thine own word. So glorify your name this evening, we pray, Father. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. The gospel in a golden box. And last week we looked at how verse 4 of our reading says that there was a golden censer. Notice, and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the pot, golden pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Last week we didn't speak so much as how the things that we have read about, the manna, the rod, and the covenants, or the covenant, the table of testimony, the, which would be the, the Ten Commandments as we know them. We didn't look at them how so much they were in the box, but really we looked at the holiest of all, which is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 3. It says, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This place is also called the holy of holies. It's called the most holy place. But here in Hebrews 9 and verse 3, we are told it is called the holiest of all. A little 15 foot by 15 foot by 15 foot high cubed room behind the veil, behind the tabernacle curtain, shut off from the world, guarded, almost kept secret as it were. And that little 15 cubed foot room becomes the most holy place in the whole of planet Earth. What makes it become that? We looked at it last week in detail. I'm sorry, you'll have to get a CD if you want to find out more about that. But really, we took you and we showed you how 
this holiest of all, this little compartment. It was the place where the Lord had said to Moses in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 42. He says, I will meet you and speak there unto thee. In other words, Moses, if you want to meet me, if you want to hear from me, if you want to know me, you must meet me at this cubed room of 15 foot by 15 foot in height 15 foot. That became the most holiest place in all of the earth. And even though the glory of the Lord shone through the tabernacle and permeates the whole area, the tabernacle centered right at the heart of the Israel encampment. And even though there were great nations and great empires and there were great kings and there were great queens and there was mighty powers in the earth, none of them were holy. And neither were Israel. They were men and women, flesh and blood. But nevertheless, they were called by God to show forth the glory of God in the earth. But you cannot show forth the glory of God in the earth nor in your life unless you have the glory of God in the earth and in your life. Here we have the Lord saying, Moses, if you want to meet me on a regular basis, then you will meet me at that room, at the curtain or the door of that room. For in that room, the main article of furniture was a golden box, and the gospel was in it. And everything about that golden box spoke, foreshadowed, pointed toward the coming of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything within it pointed of his coming. And when Israel carried it on the staves, but with a priest on their shoulders, 2,000 cubits they would have marched in front of the encampment of Israel as they moved. And when that tabernacle came down, that place on the desert or the wilderness was no longer holy. Because the tabernacle had moved, the Ark of the Covenant or the golden box had moved, And so God's glory would come down wherever that golden box was and there alone. 2,000 cubits ahead, when Israel come to Jordan, Jordan opens up. And the priests keep walking. And as they walk in faith with this golden box and the gospel inside it, we find that as they walk in faith in God, this foreshadowing of Christ opens up the very waters of Jordan for Israel. And they walked through the river and over onto the other side, collecting 12 stones, which should have been at the bottom of the river, and setting them up as a memorial before God, one for each tribe. This was all pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this golden box, the Lord says, I'll meet you and speak there unto thee. Look what verse 5 of our readings tells us. It says of this box, and over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. In other words, the the writer of the Hebrews, I personally believe it was Paul, but we'll not argue about that. The writer to the Hebrews here is saying something about the lid of this golden box. This lid with two cherubim angels, wings touching wings, He says, right there, 
I will come between the cherubims for that which is on the box. That lid was called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat is the mercy of God toward his people. When the high priest of Israel came in once a year with the blood and sprinkled it upon the furniture. And he went behind the veil and the curtain and he sprinkled it also upon this golden box and the lid of it. And because it was sprinkled, there we have the Holy One of Israel, Almighty God, coming down. Here we have the man, the sinner, with the breastplate of judgment on his breast, with 12 stones representing 12 tribes of Israel, and he prays for them as though their sins are his sins. And here we have the mercy, here we have the ark, which represents Christ, and here we have the blood of the Lamb, all foreshadowing for the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. The only reason the priest would not be slain in the presence of the Lord, nor by the glory and and the power of God, is simply because of mercy and the blood of the Lamb. I want to let you know if you're not saved, and you have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that one day you will be consumed in his presence, One day you will be separated from him forever. If you are not saved and trusting in the blood, for it's only the blood of Jesus, it's only the blood of the Lamb that will forgive your sin. And you will stand before him consumed. You know, I'll stand before the Lord someday, but when I stand before the Lord, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. By faith believing that Christ is my saviour, By faith, believing and trusting that his blood is more than enough to cleanse me from all my sin, my transgressions and my iniquities. And that I will no longer stand and come under the wrath of God. I have to ask you tonight, are you saved? Do you know if you stood before God, would you be able to stand in his presence, righteous and justified? Not by your works but solely on the trusting of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you some examples. Even uh, in verse 43 of Exodus chapter 29, the Lord says this to Moses. Then he says also, I'm there at this golden box, this 15-foot cube room, this tabernacle or tent in the wilderness. He says, I'm there. I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. In other words, that tabernacle will be different. That tabernacle will be set aside. That tabernacle will be set apart because I'm there. God says, tell the children of Israel, it's only at this place can their sins be forgiven. It's only at this place can they hear from me. It's only at this place will I meet with them. It's only at this place. And I have something to tell each and every one of you. And I wish our nation could hear it tonight. That the only place that you can hear from God and meet with God and be forgiven by God is at the Ark of the Covenant itself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only there God does business with a man. And it's only there that God does business with a woman. It's only there that God recognizes the blood. And that glory came down upon these two cherubims and these two 
uh, angels were touching wings made of gold and it shielded the high priest could only go once a year into the presence of God. You know that high priest, he had around his garments a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate, the whole way around the skirts of his garment. And they tied a rope onto him, going behind the veil, they let go of the rope as he ministered in the holy place. And they would have stopped every now and again and listened to the curtain. Hold on a minute. We hear the bell hitting the pomegranate, making that beautiful noise as he worked around this tabernacle. And because they heard the bell and the pomegranate hitting together, they knew the high priest was still alive, that God hadn't rejected him and God hadn't consumed him. For if he had, they couldn't enter. They had to pull him out with the rope. You see, How do you know that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is still alive? It's simple. By the bells and the pomegranates. It's called the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And in the church, when the two of them are making sweet music, we listen to the voice of God. We hear the moving of His Spirit. We see His action in the life. And we say, our great priest is surely alive in his church today. Here we have this holy place was the only place where God would meet with them. In verse 1 of our reading, it says these words. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. And you know, the ordinance of divine service meant they were doing as they were commanded by the word of God. In other words, they were acting in faith that if we keep things in place, if we keep doing things which God has told us through his servant Moses to do, if we keep on according to his word, God has said if we make room, he will come and visit us. That if we make room for God, he'll show up. If we make room for God, he'll come down in this place. And the place where we are will be sanctified and separated and set apart and holy. And so the Lord comes down. He sees the faithfulness of the men and the women who are in Israel and he starts to move in power and wonder, coming down upon the mercy seat to the golden box or the ark of the covenant. We finished here last week and this is where I want to pick up from. We looked at this golden box and inside it in verse 4 tells us there was a golden pot of manna first. Secondly, there was Aaron's rod that budded. And thirdly, there were the tables of the covenant or the tables of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Hebrew word for the word ark, as in ark of the covenant, is the word kibotos. And the word kibotos simply means a wooden chest or a box. That's why I called it a golden box. And this wooden golden box was overlaid completely with gold. And it gives the idea of the dual nature of our Lord, that he's not just a prophet, that he's not just some spiritual guru, he's not just a man, although man of very man, that he is also God himself, almighty God, clothed and veiled in flesh. He is Yahweh. What is the difference between Yahweh and the Old Testament and Jesus in the new. One is fully spirit and the other one is him in spirit clothed in flesh. 
There is no difference. The same testator of the old covenant is the same testator who made the new covenant. Here we have the Lord Jesus' dual nature as Almighty God, the gold representing his deity, and the wood representing his humanity. But here's something we finished with last week before we move on. The wood that it was made from is sitem wood or acacia wood. And it comes, you can get it as a tree or a large bush. It was believed by many of the Bible theologians and scholars that I've read on this, trying to seek something new from it. And it is believed that the burning bush which Moses saw was not just some little twig-like thing you'd see maybe a foot high, but this could have been an actual acacia bush tree which can reach up to 30 feet in height. Now think about that. If this was a tree 10, 20, or 30 foot in height, blazing with fire, speaking the word of God, Surely when you come to it and you hear the words, Moses, take thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where on thy standest is holy ground. You see, the desert was just sand and rocks and stone and rubble or whatever it may be. And it was all of that. But when God's holy presence came, the desert became an holy place. He sanctified it. And whether it was 15 foot, Whether it was 15 foot away from that tree or bush, I don't know. Because that room, the holiest of all, was 15 foot. Strange, I was reading about an old, he's he's gone now, he's he's gone to be with the Lord, he's dead now. But I've read with an an old Pentecostal who once said, and I don't know where he got the number from. But he said, God the Holy Spirit came and visited him and anointed him so heavily one time. And he carried it for so long that 15 feet away from him, he mentioned 15 feet, and 15 feet away from him, people were being touched by the Spirit of God, breaking down in the presence of the Lord. 15 feet away, people were being put on their knees in front of him, passing out just because in a meeting that the Holy Spirit had anointed so greatly. Here we have this great acacia tree or bush, God speaking to Moses out of it. Also, it is believed that this acacia tree or bush was what was, it was thorny. And it was used for to make the crown of thorns that our Lord Jesus was crowned with. The curse of the world, thorns on his brow. And it was also said that this acacia bush or this acacia tree, the, the bark of it, was a red color. And they used to strip the bark of it and crush it down. And they used to cut the flesh of the tree or the wood of the tree, which was red also. And when they cut it, a a, a gum used to come out. It was a a very thick sap. And we're told that when the sap came out, they scraped the sap, they took the wood, they took the bark. And you know what it was for? It was for healing. They used it for healing bodies. They used it for arthritis. They used it for skin diseases. They used to mush it down and make up some sort of ceremony. And they used to apply it. And is that not what Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says? Pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
And does it not tell you, again, looking back to the cross, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body, by whose stripes he were healed, looking back to the cross of Calvary, when Jesus bled and died. Does the red not show us the redness of the blood of Jesus also? This box was made of this wood. By the way, some say those scriptures refer solely and completely to sin. But Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus is healing all around. And we're told as the Lord Jesus is healing that they quote as it would be said or was prophesied by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, who, who his own self bear our sicknesses. So this is going according to what the word of God has said by commentating of what the scripture means. Let's look for a moment at this gospel in this golden box. In it, first of all, was the pot of manna. The pot of manna. When we get to the book of Exodus, and Israel are taken out of the wilderness or out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they become hungry, and the Lord says that He would feed them. Go to bed and rest. Have faith in me. When you get up in the morning, you'll be fed. Now, if God tells you to trust Him, then trust Him. If God says to you, believe in me and trust in me, then believe in Him and trust in Him. Here God brings manna in the wilderness. They get up every single morning. And there is the manna, collecting it fresh on the ground. They can't keep it over, for it breeds worms, except for the day before Sabbath they collect two days' worth. God tells it to keep uh, its sell-by date, as it were, for the Sabbath day. You see how God is in charge of even the manna that lies upon the ground? And Israel come out, and this is what they find. They find this white manna is everywhere. And God in this has shown that you may eat the food of slaves in Egypt, but when you're walking with God, he gives you the food of angels. And here God brings them into a place of blessing. Notice this, it was a test of appetite, but it was also a test of obedience. And this test quickly proves that the natural man has no appetite for heavenly things. Can I tell you something while you're sitting here and you're not saved? You're not a Christian. You know why you don't care? You have no appetite for the things of God. Do you know why you don't care about the gospel or if you're saved or not? Because the Bible says we're dead in our sins and you have no appetite for the things of God. But God has brought you here tonight and you're not here by an accident or because somebody has coerced you or brought you or driven you. You're here by divine appointment to hear the word of God that God says that you need saved and he loves you. God gives you an appetite to call on his name. God gives us the desires for the things of God. And this shows us that natural man has no appetite for heavenly things. And although they received to partake in God's grace and provision, although it was even described in seven ways by them, in other words, it was small, round, white, sweet, hard, melting, and heavenly. We're also told you could boil it, bake it, uh, fry it. You could do all sorts with this. And God had made this, and he says, this is my provision for you. 
It shows us, friend, that when they come out, they can't understand the things of God and they see this white stuff all over the ground and you call it manna. Manna. Manna simply means, what is it? Maybe you're thinking, what is this all about, this gospel? What is this all about, this salvation business? What is this all about, needing repentance? What is this all about, these spiritual matters? What is this all about? I have no appetite for it. I pray tonight God will give you the biggest appetite you've ever had in your life. And you'll eat of the manna that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, God has provided for you through the giving of his son, salvation through his death on the cross. This manna lies on the ground. The Lord Jesus says in John chapter 6 and verse 48, we haven't time to go through the whole chapter, but the Jews come to Jesus and they say to him, you know, God gave our fathers manna in the wilderness. Give us, show us a sign. Show us a sign that you are Messiah. Is that what you're waiting on, a sign? Are you waiting on a sign from God that you must be saved? The sign is this, that Christ died for your sin and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There's no other sign for your salvation but the sign of the giving of his son on the cross. Notice this. They say unto him, give us this bread. He says, I am the bread of life. John 6 and 48. Verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the living bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You know what Jesus is saying to them? Yes, God gave Israel manna in the wilderness. Yes, God gave them provision and God looked after them. And God gave them angels food and they ate it. And they were sustained by it. But they're dead. They're gone. He says they're dead. But if you eat of this manna which comes down from heaven, speaking of himself, he says you will live forever. If you don't eat of Christ, that is, in the spiritual sense, then you will not live forever, but you will go into eternal punishment. But Christ says, if you eat of the bread that he sends now, it is bread that will cause you to live forever. He looks at himself as bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told, the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. This speaking off the cross of Christ, the whipping, the scarring, the scourging, the beating, the bruising, the slapping of hands upon his beautiful face, the plucking out of his beard, the stripes upon his back, the nails in his hands and nails in his feet, the crown of thorns from acacia wood that is driven into his bride. Hanging, bleeding, and dying with a side that is riven with a Roman spear. And he says, this is my body. And it's broken for you. Now we know John chapter 6 that the Romanist 
tries to say that this is an excuse for the mass or uh, transubstantiation, the lifting up of the wafer. They pray over it in hocus pocus. There it becomes the body, the blood, and the literal divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not what it says, for Jesus says in this chapter. Are you listening to this? He says, the words which I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And if you catch the spirit that Jesus is saying through his word tonight, if you eat of this bread, you will live forever. You will have your sins forgiven. You can be washed in the blood. You can be in the kingdom of God. If something was to happen to you tonight, you'll close your eyes in death. And when you awaken again, you will be with Jesus, which is far better. But without him, you'll have a starving soul that will be lost for all eternity. The manna was in the golden pot and put in the ark to be before the presence of the Lord and for all generations to see, to hear, acknowledge and to remember. And so is the manna from heaven to be put and placed before Almighty God at all times. We are only saved through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're only saved through his death, burial, and resurrection again. We're saved by grace through faith. And that always is always completely, fully, and totally the only means and method where God will meet the sinner. No other place on earth. It's the only place where God will meet you, friend. Not bringing your works to him, but meeting him in Jesus Christ. So here is the Lord Jesus. He is the manna. Secondly, Aaron's rod that budded. In Numbers chapter 7, we're told that there was an uprising against God's uh, chosen anointed leadership. And when there was an uprising, Moses brings a, a rod at God's command to lay before this golden box in his presence in this 15-foot square room. And he says, I will lay them here. And when you lay them there, write the name of every tribe and the head of every tribe. And when you write that name, he says, I will choose, God says. I will choose exactly who is mine anointed leadership. Moses has all the names written on it, goes out and he comes back in again. And listen to what happens. The next day when he comes in, Aaron's rod from the tribe of Levi, Aaron's rod had budded, blossomed, bloomed, and had actually borne almonds on it. God had caused this stick. God had caused a dry, lifeless rod, a stick, like a walking stick you have. God caused it to start blooming and blossoming and to bring forth fruit. Listen to Numbers 17 and verse 8. Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Here God says this is my choice. Aaron to be the high priest of Israel. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, going into the New Testament. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining 
to God. Verse 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Here the Hebrew writer is now saying, he's saying, listen folks, you think of a high priest that goes into a temple. You think that he's going to shed blood and make atonement for you. He says there only is one high priest now. And he's after a greater order than the Levitical priesthood. He's after the greater order than Aaron himself. He's after a greater order. He's been chosen by his own father, by almighty God himself. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. No more temple worship. It's all being done in Christ. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 1 and verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, who saith also to, in another place, Thou art an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. In verse 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know what's being said here? God says, see that one who was baptized in Jordan River. And I said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you see that one who went to the cross and hung bleeding and dying? Do you see that one that was placed in a tomb? Do you see that one that lay for three days and was risen again after the power of an endless life? Do you see that one that has ascended into heaven? He is the high priest of Israel. He is called by me. And there is none else. Not a popish priest. Not a pastor. Not the Pope himself. Not the Queen of England. No one but Jesus and Jesus only. Here we have God says, I have called him and raised him up. He says he's after the order of Melchizedek. Here's something to notice. This is to do, this stick, this rod, this dry piece of hard wood which bloomed and blossomed and bare fruit, this speaks of what? Where is the gospel in this since it talks of a high priest? The gospel in this is this. There are two ways to look at this. First of all, it speaks of spiritual resurrection. It speaks of spiritual resurrection. Notice what it says in Numbers 17 and verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. The Lord says, Bring that rod and place it before me where the Ark of the Covenant is. And it will be a, a testimony or a token. The word token here is the word off. And the word off really means a distinguishing mark. It will be a signal, a standard, a banner, a miraculous sign, and a warning. He says, do you see that, that rod that is budded, blossomed, and bloomed? That's going to be like a, a, a token before me. That will be like a warning to the nation. That will be something that shows miraculous power of God. That will be a distinguishing mark in Israel alone. He says, that is going to be something that will be noticed and before my face. And it speaks of resurrection. First of all, the man and the woman who are dead in sin. Everyone from Adam 
are dead in their sin and in their trespasses. Every one of us, we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us this. And you, church, you, believer, ecclesia or ecclesia, you, believer in Christ, you who are born again of the Spirit, you, body of Christ, he says, you were dead like everybody else, but now he says, you are quickened, you're made alive unto God. You and I were spiritually dead, and that's why the natural man has no appetite toward God. When the Spirit of God comes, He comes and he quickens the man and the woman to receive Christ as Lord, to see themselves in need of a Savior. But Paul says, you were dead one time and God came and quickened you. The word quickened there. It gives the idea to reanimate. You see, when Adam walked in the cool of the day with God, before there was rebellion on Adam's part and falling the great... The original sin line there. Before all that happened, Adam walked in the cool of the day with the Lord, communed with the Lord every day. He was alive unto God. He was in full animation. He had a glorious body. There was no sign of death. It wouldn't be in the garden until after the fall, until Adam sinned. And Adam walked with him in the cool of the day, fully animated with Almighty God. Can you imagine that? Fully animated with God. Speaking to him. A theophany comes down. Jesus himself comes and shows himself to Adam. And they walk through the garden, looking around the place. And the Lord says, of all the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat thereof. But of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eatest thereof. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, Adam. Adam is fully animated. But when he sinned, death came and Adam, his germs, his nature entered every one of us. And sin brought forth death, spiritual death and physical death. And that animation, that aliveness to God had died, became carnal. We became fleshy. We became earthly. We became depraved. We became degraded. But when the Spirit of God comes after Calvary, and when the Spirit of God touches a man's heart, and when the Spirit of God touches a woman's heart, and gives them the desire for the spiritual manna that comes down from heaven, when the Spirit of God comes, He quickens you, He regenerates you, and when He touches you, He reanimates you. In other words, the word quickened here means you were spiritually dead, but God came and he quickened you and you became alive again unto God. Oh, I think of how our old natures are and dead and lifeless and we think we're living the life and we think we're great and we think we're tremendous, but really we're dead. And God comes and just speaks right into our being. And he causes us to be illuminated, regenerated, and alive unto himself. This stick speaks of spiritual resurrection. It also speaks of physical resurrection. Oh, praise God. Here's the gospel for you. This box is being carried and it's saying, look in this box. In here, this box speaks of God in full deity, 
the full orb deity of God and humanity. It speaks of God carried on the priesthood's shoulders, being brought into battle and winning victory, bringing forth miracles and sign and wonder. And in that speaks of the broken body of our Lord who would redeem us back to himself. It speaks of spiritual resurrection of the Holy Spirit which will quicken us again unto God. And it speaks of physical resurrection at the coming of Jesus. The graves will open and the dead in Christ shall rise first to meet the Lord in the air. And oh, the first fruit that is Jesus, the first fruits from the resurrection will be waiting like those almonds on the rod. And he'll be calling us to gather unto himself. We will return to earth in our glorified state and rule and reign with Christ. Will you be there? Will you be there? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. In other words, friend, some believers, or many believers, have been uh, placed into the ground. Your loved one who knew Christ placed into the ground. They've died and they've been buried in the ground like a seed as you, as you plant seeds in your garden. And you watch and you, you maybe weep at a grave or you go and you visit and you tidy it up. And your loved one in Christ seems to be gone forever. I have them too. But one day Jesus is coming and he will break the skies and they will rise to meet him in the air. That corruptible will put on incorruption. That mortal shall put on immortality. And that which was sown in dishonor will be raised up in glory and power. Can't help myself but get excited about that. Yes, speaks of resurrection. Listen to what Job says, Job 19. Old Job, way back near the time of around Abraham or Maybe even a little before, but listen to this. Job 19 and verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I say, God, in my flesh. But Job, you're dead. And you've went to the grave. And your body has rotten away to dust, to powder. We don't even know where it is, I want to tell you. God knows every single strand of Job's DNA. He knows where it is, whether it be five feet under the ground, or five meters under the ground, or five miles under the ground. God will call it, and he will rise to meet the Lord in the air. I'll see him, he says, in my flesh. Worms can eat this body, but God will raise it again. He says, Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This is resurrection. A dead stick blooming, blossoming, and bearing fruit. Thirdly and quickly, we'll finish this. Thank you for your attention. Give me another few minutes, and we'll get this finished. Thirdly, in the golden box was, the, or in the ark, was the tables of the covenant. The tables of the covenant. Friend, listen closely to this. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. And the Lord says, write them and put them in a box for a token. The word token again is not only a sign or, or a flag or, or something that, uh, that the, ark, or the rod was put before the ark of the covenant of God. It also was the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and the door lintels in Egypt when God says, put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the door lintels for this evening I am passing through Egypt, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, the blood will be waving to me. This house is under the blood. These people are under the blood. This is your Israel. They're under the blood. He says, now pass over in judgment. But every home that had not the blood, God passed through in judgment. It's the same word off. It's the same word with the, the, the rainbow in the sky. The Lord made the Noah covenant that he would never flood the earth. Again, with a great flood. And notice, he says, I set my bow in the sky. It's the same word. This will be like a reminder. Not that God forgets. But you and I in our human language can understand. When you see this, the Lord says, I have made a covenant with you. God had made covenants with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the sun and the moon and the stars. And he says, these covenants will last forever. David will not want a man to sit on his throne. And they're still there. Always oh, a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Can I ask you, have you worshipped other things? Had other things in your heart where Christ should take place? Have you looked with someone with lust and you, you've committed adultery in their heart? Have you stolen anything, even a moment in time, which didn't belong to it, your boss had paid for, that you don't realize? Then you're a thief. And standing before God like that is how you will be judged. But when you come under the blood... It's a token. It's like a flag waving. It's a great sign of miraculous power of God that you're saved and under the blood of Jesus. Let me finish with this. Thank you for your attention. When they put this golden box with the gospel in it and they carried it, do you think surely those priests must feel the weight of those stones especially in that ark. And it would remind them of the pressing law of God. The weight of it would remind them of that law of God which is heavy and unattainable and which we cannot carry for long, for we fail at it. Lifting up on their shoulders was the only acceptable standard which God would accept for salvation and redemption. And they knew it. And they failed miserably at it. And so do you and I. You know, these two tablets of stone should be outside Buckingham Palace. And inside it, by the way. These two tablets of stone should be outside Westminster. These two tablets of stone 
should be at every Stormont and at every council office on their walls as you go in. These two tablets of stone with ten commandments should remind them that Almighty God is still God and that Almighty God will require of them that which they have failed at. And that should be there that this nation should know that only under the blood of Jesus can they find health and help and salvation and victory. Carried. And isn't it marvelous that this golden covered box with wood inside, isn't it marvelous to know that this box that represents Christ's deity and humanity, when Jesus came, he didn't come in his deity, he came in our humanity. His deity was in the inside, the wood was on the outside. But now he is resurrected and he's coming again in full deity and in full glory. To set up his kingdom. I trust you're saved. This is the gospel in the golden box in the midst of Israel. It should be the gospel in the golden box in the person of Christ in your life and in our nation. And I trust tonight that you know him because you'll stand before him. May God bless his word to all of our hearts this evening. For his name's sake. Amen. Thank you for your.